All right, and we are back to once again explore Vader Pursuit Grace. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass. And tonight, we're going to talk about something that I think is very important and timely. And that is establishing and setting and enforcing healthy boundaries. You know, we're coming off of a Father's Day weekend, and it was a good weekend for us, Kevin. I don't know if you guys did much. I know, are your yeah. parents here now? They are, yeah. So they're out here. Uh, they live about oh, probably 15 minutes away from us. And uh, we actually were out of town with some friends on a lot of vacation. So we didn't get that. Yeah, well, we're, we're actually taking, uh, we're taking my dad and my mom out. Um, this week actually so we're gonna we're gonna do that instead when we when we originally set this trip date we forgot it was father's day weekend so we went out with some friends and had a good time so i'm like hey dad is it all right if we uh get together maybe a few days after father's day so he's cool with it and i i love my dad i've got a really good relationship with dad he's, he's Man, a great, that's awesome he's a great guy well, they just re-released John Carpenter's The Thing for its 40th anniversary. They re-release it in some theaters, and a buddy of mine went and saw that when I bought tickets. I didn't realize it was on Father's Day. I was like, well, snap. I don't, <laughs> oh, man, I felt terrible. But my kids understood. I mean, we had Saturday where we played. We had Sunday at church. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, the church, they had a little lunch for the dads for Father's Day. And the kids always get me hot sauce for Father's Day every year because I love hot sauce. Oh, I love hot sauce too, man. Oh, yeah. But it, it was a really good time, and I'm fortunate that I have such a good, healthy relationship with my kids. You know, you and your parents have an amazing relationship as well. But for a lot of people, I mean, Father's Day, is a, it's a holiday, dude. I look forward to it every year. I love it. I mean, I've had so many good men in my life, and I love being able to honor those men and the role that they've played in my life and my development and me becoming who I am. But for a lot of people holidays in general can be problematic for yeah. mother's day or father's day or Thanksgiving or Christmas or any of those holidays in which we get together and we share a meal or, you know, it, those holidays that are considered family occasions, you know, for some people, maybe they, maybe they get together and they all go trick or treating together on Halloween, but Halloween isn't really considered one of those, I guess, family reunion kind of holidays. But for a lot of people, the holidays can be really stressful. It can be really problematic, and a lot of people dread Father's Day. A lot of people dread Mother's Day. They dread Thanksgiving. They dread yeah. Christmas. And yeah. while it's, a reminder about, of, it's a reminder of what they they might not have. Yeah, well, yeah. and for a lot of people, there's grief, and we talked about that on this podcast before. If you know, maybe it's close to the holiday season. Whenever you're listening to this out there in listener land, and uh, maybe it's close to Thanksgiving or Christmas, and maybe the, it's not a good time of the year for you. We have a previous episode that we did that we'll link in the show notes in which we discuss coping with grief on the holidays. But for a lot of people, their their grief exists because the parent or child or relative or whoever has passed away, and that's the source of their grief. For some people, maybe yeah. that person is still alive, but due to a faith transition or whatever else, they're persona non grata at that point in their lives and they have nothing to do with them. It, it, for whatever reason, grief can be really powerful, but there can also be a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. around these holidays yeah. with family that are still alive. Even for those who, and I, I hesitate to use this phrase, but I'm going to go ahead and use it because it's the best phrase to use for a lot of people who are going through a faith transition, but maybe they haven't come out quote unquote to their family about where their faith journey is leading them, whether it's towards a more progressive form of Christianity, or maybe it's away from Christianity altogether. 
there are a lot of people that are, they really struggle with sharing their faith journey with their parents. They struggle to share their faith journey with their loved ones, with their their brother or their sister. And I don't mean in church, but like their physical brother, their physical sister, their in-laws, whoever else, it it can be a real challenge. It can be really, really stressful for those folks. Well, it it can even be people who have already changed. And because of that, they have, they've lost that relationship or the relationship still exists, but it's not the same that it used to be. And, uh, that, that can be the case too. And so anyone who's listening to this, if you've gone through a faith transition, if you're, if you've already done it, or if you're in the middle of it, or if you are thinking about it, you know, Lee and I get this question all the time. How are we supposed to interact with people who do not see things the way we see it when we start changing? You know, you've, you've built your community, you have your community, and then you start questioning, <laughs> uh, oh, wait a minute, maybe this isn't right. This isn't what I need to be doing. And yet the rest of your community is doing that. Your faith community still believes what you used to believe. They're still doing what you used to do. But you find yourself at a completely different place emotionally, intellectually, uh, however you want to word it. And what do you do at that point? What do you do? And when you do start changing, how do you set boundaries? I mean, I, I spoke since my books come out, I've been able to have really good conversations with people um, already about the book. And, um, and, and I mean, I've, I've talked to goodness, I don't know how many people just over the last couple of months, um, either through email or on the phone, um, but a lot. And that's one of the questions that keeps coming back uh, or that keeps coming up and people keep coming back to is, well, I believe this, but my spouse doesn't. Um, or me and my spouse believe this, but our parents don't. Or I believe this, and so does my family, and so do my parents, but I'm the preacher at the church and nobody else believes this. I mean, I've, I've had really good conversations with people, and uh, you know, I've, a, a lot of times I don't really know what to say. But we are going to talk about at least some suggestions on how you can navigate those waters. And they're hard waters to navigate. There's no one way to do it. Like there's no turnkey process that you can put to work in your life to say, well, if you're going through this faith transition and these are the doctrines that you see yourself shifting on, maybe it's a set of doctrines. Well, then you can handle it this way. Or maybe it's the way you read the entirety of the Bible. Maybe it's, you know, just the, the problem is more of a personal thing. It's not even as much of a religious thing, whatever the case may be everyone's journey is so unique and everyone's familial paradigm is so individualized. No, there's no cookie cutter answer for any of this. And so with that in mind, Kevin and I do not claim to be experts on this or really much of anything. Um, we don't, we definitely don't claim to be experts. on. We're 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 experts at, uh, at failure and we're experts at changing our mind. We're very good at those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we 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 We're experts have, at being wrong. How about that? Yes, we are very good at that. We we have an amazing skill set for that. That and we have the gift of gab. We can yeah, just talk and talk go. and talk and talk. But no, uh, you know, this is something that I have gone through, Kevin. This is something you've gone through. And inadvertently, whenever you're in a high authoritarian faith system like what you were in, like what I was in, And you begin to think your way out of that whenever everybody else is entrenched within it. And you're almost your entire cultural or subcultural identity is enmeshed within that system. 
it's really scary for other people whenever you begin to change. I mean, Mm -hmm. as scary as it is for you, for these other people who love you, who genuinely love you, it can be a scary time for them as well, because in their mind, you're rejecting everything that keeps your soul secure. You're rejecting the entire, you know, paradigm. And a lot of people, they can't divest themselves from their beliefs. They can't divest their identity from their beliefs, what they believe in terms of their faith, what they believe in terms of their Christianity. All of those things are central to the identity they have for themselves. So a lot of people take it personally whenever you begin to change. A lot of people, they internalize the rejection of the ideology that you want to ascribe to as a rejection of them as well, because their identity is melded within that, that worldview it's melded within that ideology and everybody's going to manifest that differently. Some people are going to be very quiet about it. Some people are going to be stoic. Some people are going to be loud and boisterous and explosive. There's as many people as there are, there are that many potential different reactions. So With that in mind, this is one of those things, what you hear on this episode, you may take some insights from my story. You may take some insights from Kevin and you may think, wow, that's a really good idea that, you know, saying it that way to my father-in-law or my mother or whoever else, man, that's a really good way to put that. I'm going to do it. And then there are some of you that are going to be listening to this and you're going to be thinking, if I did that the way Kevin did it, if I did that the way that Lee's saying, you know, you might try it, that's not going to end well for me. And so with all of this, Take what Kevin and I say, I'm going to say with a grain of salt, which you should do that anyway, but take what we say as knowing we're speaking from our own experience and your mileage may vary. We're not experts on this, but we do have some experience with it and we feel like that, you know, our experience might be helpful to someone else, which is why we're going to talk about it in the first place. But yeah, you know, it's establishing boundaries though, and enforcing those boundaries, it's scary because it leads and often is it comes about through conflict because some people aren't going to want to honor those boundaries that you want to set and being able to set those boundaries clearly and definitively, it can be really difficult, especially if you're the kind of person that doesn't really like conflict. And most people don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was something when I changed, I've talked about this. I did a whole episode on it called what I wish I would have done differently. And one of the things I wish I would have done differently is I wish I would have been more kind up front to people yeah, I I were I kind of pushed people to feel like they had to withdraw from me because I would point out their inconsistencies if they didn't. <laughs> yeah, and I would say, well, look, you know, you're wanting to still fellowship me, but I believe this, and yet you're standing up every Sunday and condemning people who believe it's wrong to hand clap, and yet I don't even have any problem with instrumental music, but you're you're fine fellowshipping me. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Uh, you know, you need to be. You either need to repent. And because this was still, you know, old Kevin, <laughs> I mean, I was changing, but this is still your views had changed, but you hadn't yet. Right, right. It was still, yeah. hey, repent and, and, and believe the truth like me or uh, withdraw and, re- and at least, you know, keep your consistency. Because that's what I've always looked for is consistency, regardless of, of the belief or argument is, are we consistent with our belief system? Is it, is it coherent? Is it, is it consistently coherent? And also, are we applying it in the way in which we're teaching it? And, uh, of course, in the Churches of Christ, 
that was one of the main reasons why I changed because I saw that, that we were not being consistent with how we were teaching it. And, uh, if so, then nobody could fellowship anybody if we really take it to its logical conclusion. And so that was something that I was really pushing on others. And so what I tell people when you're going through a faith transition, be careful to not be the one that draws the line in the sand, unless you absolutely have to for your own safety or you know physically speaking or for your own safety spiritually and emotionally speaking or the safety of your family or those you love um other than that don't be the one to draw the line in the sand don't feel like you have to because you don't uh, you know when you when you are in grace the good thing about grace is realizing that god's grace extends to everybody and god's mercy is something that I never truly understood. I still don't fully understand it because of how great it is. Um, but you always want to extend that mercy and grace to other people during your faith transition. And so the first thing that I always tell people is just to be kind. Make sure that you are choosing a posture of kindness, but also respectfulness. And you brought this point up just a moment ago. It's easy when you're changing to feel bitter. And I think most of us yeah. do. If you haven't already bought the book, I would highly recommend to our audience by the book by Brian McLaren, Faith After Doubt, because it talks about faith transitions and the different stages. And the, the, all the stages are the same for everybody. Now, they may manifest themselves in different ways, but they're going to be the same. And it, at first, it's, it's, you're going to be bitter. You're going to be upset. I can't believe I used to believe this. And it's easy to want to blame your your parents, your guardians, your grandparents, your family, your friends who invited you to tr- whatever it might be, because you realize had had they not taught you that, had they not conditioned you or introduced you to these ideas, you you may have never believed them. And yet you've wasted a lot of your life believing it. And so it's easy to be easy to be bitter. And when we're bitter, it's very hard to be kind. <laughs> you yes. know, when I'm, when I'm bitter at somebody or something, kindness is usually not going to be what I lead with. And so I think remembering and reminding yourself that, first of all, you have to take responsibility for, for what you did believe. Um, and also realize that you can change that. You don't have to believe something that's illogical or something that you believe is intellectually dishonest. You don't have to believe that anymore. But also, you need to remind yourself that those people who you once were in community with and believed like, they care about you. And they genuinely love you. Now, there may be some situations that are truly cultic that this doesn't apply to, but I'm speaking more or less to my situation. I know your situation as well, Lee, of good people who are sincere. They've bought into a system that you realize is not a good system. And when you get out of that, they now are concerned for your soul. They're going to tell you you're going to go to hell. They, they, they want you to change. They want you to repent. And it's easy just to throw dirt right back at them. And don't, you know, that that's my biggest takeaway in this first point, going back to kindness, is just please don't do that. Remember that they're doing what they're doing because they too are conditioned just like you were conditioned before you changed. And so you can't hold them to, to a different standard. You weren't willing, you know, for somebody to hold you to when you were in that situation. I mean, it, you have to, if you wanted people to have grace on you then and now, you're going to have to have grace on people who are still in that position. 
that, that can't be overemphasized enough. I'm trying to remember who I heard say this the last time, that no matter what the situation might be, no matter what the topic under consideration might be, no matter what it is, you can absolutely never go wrong with loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And I think Rubel Shelley told you, I know you mentioned it on the podcast, that you will never regret being kind to somebody. Yeah, yeah. So it, I don't think it can be overemphasized enough that whenever you're going through this a faith crisis, maybe it's not even a faith transition, maybe it's hardcore enough that you can call it a faith crisis, you're going to be in a place where you're scared. You're going to be in a place where you're afraid. I know there were a lot of sleepless nights that I had, and you don't have sleepless nights whenever you're safe and secure and content in mind. You're not going to have a sleepless night unless maybe you had way too much caffeine before bed or, you know, too many jelly beans or something like that. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe too much sugar, too much caffeine, whatever the case may be. But whenever you're going through a faith transition, whenever you're having a crisis of faith, you're going to have nights where you don't sleep, where you're thinking your brain just won't shut off. And that in and of itself is it's it's a, a at its root, it's a fear response is what it is. Yeah. You're afraid of the ramifications, even if you don't have a full awareness of it. And in that moment and at that time, I can look back at the sleepless nights that I had. And I can recognize that in part, it's what I mentioned earlier. My identity was wrapped up in a lot of the beliefs that I held. Number two, there was a lot of fear of what the blowback from the community would be. And I mean, and you and I had plenty of conversations when we first started the podcast, whenever people were expressing their deep concern that I was cavorting with a false teacher like Kevin Pendergrass, who had left the the one, the Lord's one true church behind, you know, that that was, you know, that that's severely problematic and he's going to influence you and, and everything else and all this other nonsense. You know, I was afraid, well, do I keep going with the podcast? I mean, we're only maybe 10, 12, 15 episodes into it, but do I keep going with it? I mean, we're hearing from people and they're enjoying it and it's helping them. It's a source of comfort for them. This is a good thing. I mean, I'm seeing all these net goods, but what about, you know, the church I'm going to at the time? What about, you know, that church is standing within the one cup brotherhood? You know, how, how long before the, you know, the, the bigger, more popular preachers in the one cup brotherhood start calling and asking questions and coming down here and, and, you know, trying to meet with the leadership of this congregation. Am I going to get the congregation in trouble? Oh my goodness. What am I going to do? And that's a fear driven response. And whenever you're going through that faith transition, you're afraid. Whenever you're afraid, your sympathetic division of your nervous system, your fight flight response is going to be amplified. And it's going to be way easier to slip into that. And whenever you go into that fight flight response, whenever you're confronted, it's going to trigger and, and just drive you headlong into that response. And when that happens, your heart's beating faster, your pupils are dilated, your, your airways more open, but you may be shorter of breath. You're in that confrontation. You're about to either have to fight or run away. And when you're in that moment, it's real easy to lose your control. It's real easy to lose your cool. It's real easy to say things that you'll regret later on. So I would add to what you said earlier, Kevin, be aware of the fear that you have and know that others have a fear as well, that there are others that are sincerely afraid for you and your soul. And that's where they're coming from. Remember that these people, by and large, with few exceptions, these people don't hate you. These people love you and they are genuinely concerned, even though you're really not in any real danger at all. 
they believe you are. And so that's where a lot of what they're going to say and do is going to come from. They're going to try to talk to you and convince you to come back almost by any means necessary. And so being aware that that could be the case, that's, you have to have that in your mind. You have to know that that's the case and you have to make the choice that no matter what you're going to be kind But being kind does not mean being a doormat. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you just roll over under the predilections of what anyone else may have. There are still boundaries that need to be set, and that's what we're going to get into in a moment. But did you have something else you were wanting to say? It looked like you were... No, I I was just going to say, yeah, being kind is not the same thing as enabling someone to continue to abuse you. And, and I'm using the word abuse very loosely here, but I mean someone uh, to continue to try to control you, you. Yeah. yeah, and and be combative. That being kind doesn't mean you just sit there and say, you know, okay, well, whatever you want to say to me, I'm just going to take it, and I'm going to take it every single time. And uh, that's not what we're talking about. Um, you know, being kind is a demeanor, and yes. and and it's it is a it is a posture that you have toward another. Um, you know, there are times when the the most kind thing you can do is to say, look, we're not going to have this conversation anymore. And if you can't respect that, then I'm not going to be able to continue uh, being around you because this is really affecting me. It's affecting my family. And as much as we love you, as much as we care about you, if you're going to feel the need to have to bring this up every single time, then you're going to put me in a position now where I'm going to have to 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 choose whether or not this is something I want to keep putting myself in a position to hear or a position to have to go through this every single time. And so, you know, being kind is it's it's more about a posture. Um, and you know, kind of transitioning here into setting those boundaries. Um, you know, one thing when it comes to setting boundaries too, before we really get into the specifics. I want to bring this point up and it's funny because I talk, you know, a lot of people email us Lee and a lot of people email the podcast and then people email you privately. They email me privately. They message us through social media. Some people I know, um, loosely, some people I know very well and they have my phone number and we'll text back and forth or call and have conversations. And it's funny because sometimes I'll talk about someone I talk to on the podcast and I'll have someone text me and go, that was me, wasn't it? And I go, no, actually it wasn't. I said, they're like, well, that sounded just like my situation. I said, that's because all of us truly have gone through and are going through the same thing. Um, and so it is, it's funny to me because I'll try to, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell a story about somebody and somebody will say, Hey, I heard you talk about me on the podcast. You, of course I never mentioned names. They just assume it's them. And I go, no, that's actually not who it was. Um, but I was talking to a couple a few weeks ago and a married couple, and they were telling me that what was so sad for them is that they realized that they never really had true relationships to begin with with most of the people at their church. They said instead, their relationship was built not on love and, and mutual respect and and those types of things. It was built on making sure you believe the same things. And the reason why they were friends is because they believe the same thing. And the second that they no longer believed what they used to believe, all those friendships went away at this church. And they said that what was really difficult for them was was not so much having to set boundaries, but realizing that they never even had a true, loving, respectful relationship 
in the first place. And I think that's a reality for a lot of people that yeah. when they when they change, they look back and they were like, I really never had a close relationship with this person. I, I was I was never able to be vulnerable and I was never able to be really honest. It was more superficial. And as soon as you no longer believe what they believe, that's it. You know, my uncle called those relationships relationships that are a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> yeah. And and I think church, quote unquote, kind of a lot of our church communities are that way. I've I've had friends of mine who are very conservative, religiously speaking, in the churches of Christ, and I have maintained a true relationship with them. Yet they tell me they go to a church in which they feel like they have no relationships with people. Um, and it puts them in a difficult position because they think I'm wrong, yet they have a better relationship with me um, that where they can be honest and, and vulnerable. And yet the people that they think are right, they can't even be open and vulnerable and honest. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to let people figure that out instead of say, well, you know, don't you see the fruit that's that, you know, who's what relationships bearing the best fruit here? I mean, can't you see that? There's one community that that's working a lot better for you than another community, but people have to figure that out on their own. Um, but I did just want to make that a, a side point that when you are, um, and it, by the way, this could be the same thing for your family. When you are changing, you may realize you never had the relationships that you thought you had, that you had convinced yourself you had these really good relationships with your family or your friends, when in reality, it wasn't a real relationship. It was, or it was a relationship. It just wasn't a a close. Yes, yeah. it wasn't a a close uh, relationship with any true substance. It was more just superficial, built on those same beliefs. Well, and I think that that does describe. I think you're right. Whenever you say that, describes potentially the majority of the relationships that exist within high. I wouldn't just say within the churches of Christ, but in no. any high authority. Um, uh, faith fundamentalist, system. yeah, any fundamentalist, high authority, highly authoritarian faith system, you're going to see a lot of that. So much of what you do and the interactions you have with other people and the relationships you have with other people are predicated upon that conformity of groupthink, and even the relationship that people have with their families. And that's what makes it so scary to go through a faith transition. And to share that with your loved ones, because even if you have, and I've seen this over and over again on different websites, on different message boards that where people have shared their experience and what they've gone through. And I've experienced some of this myself, and I know you have too, where you have these people who you're thick as thieves, or at least you think you are. And then whenever you begin to share some of how things are changing, the response that usually comes about from the other side is either people are really quick to jump up and then um, either distance themselves from you, formally disfellowship you, or say, well, let's get together and have a Bible study sometime. And a lot of times whenever the offer is made to sit down and study, this is a question that I see pop up a lot is people say, well, you know, I've, I've transitioned away from Christianity. I've, I just don't believe anymore. Or maybe, you know, I've started to, to worship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend at the Methodist church or, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And I have family members that are concerned and they're saying, I want to have a Bible study. Let's sit down and have a Bible study. More often than not, it's been my experience that the desire isn't as much to study the Bible as much as it's a trial that you're going to go through under the guise of a Bible study. Yeah. And when that comes up, people are like, well, what do I do? 
And this is where boundaries, the, the setting of boundaries is going to begin to take place. Whenever you first begin to share the doubts that you have, whenever you first begin to share the faith transition that you're going through and the stuff, those cogs that are turning in your mind, this is that point in which you're going to have to start thinking about the boundaries that you're going to set with your family, potentially with the folks that are your friends or that you believe to be your friends. Hopefully they really are your friends in the faith community you're a part of, or maybe the faith community you're departing from. You're going to have to decide how are these boundaries going to be set and how far do these boundaries go? And I would say, and, and this is just me, if someone were to ask me, well, let's sit down and have a Bible study about that. My response to that is going to be, that sounds awesome. Let's sit down and have a study over it. Let's talk about it. Because while you're, you were a formally trained formal debater, I don't have formal training in debate but I have studied logic. I've studied the Bible. I've read a lot about this. I'm very comfortable and secure with where I am and what my worldview is. But for a lot of people that are beginning to go through that transitionary stage, they're not there yet. They're not comfortable with where they are. A lot of times they don't even know what they think. And so sitting down and having a Bible study with someone, if that's what they're saying, well, let's sit down and have a Bible study over it. Usually what's going to happen is, is that person's going to sit down and they're going to pick a particular doctrine or topic or whatever it is that you've expressed doubt in or that your mind's changing on. And they're going to trot out various proof texts that are taken out of context that ignore the overall context of scripture that that ignore the attitudinal hermeneutic of scripture. It's not Christocentric. It's not a cruciform hermeneutic. It's based on a legalistic reading of scripture to prove why you are wrong and why they are right and why you need to abandon this, this dangerous path and dangerous trajectory that you find yourself on so that you can return to the truth and be right in the sight of God and once again be a member of the Lord's church in good standing. And I know that that's what these people in large part are going to be doing. They don't want to understand your position. They don't want to discuss your doubts. They want to show you why you are wrong and why they are right. And they're going to do exactly what I said they're going to do. They're going to use these proof texts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I know that that's the case because that's what I used to do, brother. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I used to do. And there's some questions that I like to ask myself when this comes up because I've really had to change my demeanor because whenever, you know, I'm always up for for You're a, a good argument, baby. You're ready to throw down <laughs> anytime. I'm, 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 I'm always up for a good argument and uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where I have to be careful because uh, my pride can can come into play with that too, um, you know, and that is that is one reason why I said I would never do formal debating again because um, I think a lot of it's just grandstanding. I mean, we all, you know, de debate really doesn't offer the time to delve into topics the way they need to be. Not that I, I, good cannot come from debates. I st I still study debates. I still watch debates. I still buy books um, of of people debating because a lot of good can come from that. But for me. Yes. Personally, because of, of how I was trained, because of what I used to do, I, I easily slip back into a mentality that I do not like. And so when someone, um, you know, which, which doesn't happen a whole lot anymore, but when I first started changing, people were like, hey, can, can we study with you? And, you know, I've had people, I think I talked about this on the show before, I had people send me my old articles 
and my yeah. old my old debates to say watch this again you know um refute yourself and, and we did um you know, that's why we did that fun <laughs> fun little kevin versus kevin fun, man back. that was but, a good but, time. but the thing is is that you you i think described it perfectly because what that what that is is it's someone saying i want to show you why you're wrong i want to i want to explain to you why i think you're wrong and whenever you change like we've changed you know, and I've explained this to people and I try to do it in a way that is not, you know, I try to do it in a way that is kind and respectful, but I'll say, look, I'm very familiar with the arguments and the framework for those arguments, but I disagree with the framework to begin with. And so it's hard, it's going to be hard for us. And I'll try to explain this, especially if it's somebody I am close to or used to be close to. And I think that they are coming to me with sincerity, I'll say it's very good. It's going to be very difficult for us to talk about uh, the acts of worship in the New Testament when I don't even view the New Testament um, as a book that I'm supposed to go to to have authority for everything I do in life, the way that you define it, because you and I are approaching the concept and idea of authority very differently. I said, so we're, we're, all we're going to be doing is just repeating what we've both already heard. We've got to get back. We've got to take a few steps back and make sure that we both are at the same starting point and talk about point A before we get down talking about point C, D, E, F, G. And, 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 and most of the time, what I do, I ask myself these questions, and I just, I just jotted these down. This is something that I ask myself usually. Number one, what is my objective and what do I hope to accomplish? So if, if someone reaches out to me who I've never met before, and they say, and I've received emails like this. I still get these emails. Hey, you idiot. I came across your article. Um, in fact, I was going to pull one up here. Um, you idiot. I came across your article and I was going to show you why you're wrong and why you need to repent. So obviously that's going to be, uh, you know, no brainer. I'm not even going to going to mess with that email. You know, Yeah. I'm not, e I'm not even going to. You know, that there's nothing that I can say that's going to be beneficial f f at yeah. that point in time. It's not it's not that that not that a conversation can't be had in the future with that individual. But at that point in time, you know, I'm not even going to engage that. But then there's these conversations where people will, um, you know, that I do know and I haven't seen maybe in years. And they're going to hear that I've changed and they knew me from, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And they didn't know I've changed and they're just now finding this out. And this still happens especially with my with my books and those types of things or they'll they'll happen to come across a podcast somebody shares and they'll say, "Well, I didn't realize you changed on this. I would like to learn more." You know, I want to know what's going on. And I I personally you know, and I'm in a little bit different position because I can say, well, here's my book. <laughs> you know, I, Everyone I, has the privilege of being able to write you know, it. <laughs> I, I wrote a book about my change. Here it is. But, but what I do, what I do um, is I try to gauge it. I try to gauge each person and ask, you know, what do I hope to accomplish? Because most people, unless they, unless they come to you, unless they come to me saying, Hey, I've been asking these same questions for years but I've kept these inside. Can I, can I, can we set up a time to study? Cause I'm really curious and I'm really trying to learn and grow. Yeah. That's something I'm definitely going to entertain. But most of the time, it's just a matter of someone wanting to tell you th that you're wrong, either because they feel like they're obligated to. And some people feel obligated to, because they feel like their belief demands. They tell you 
that you're yeah. wrong. And after they do that, they're fine. Like then they're like, okay, I'm, I'm basically relieved of my duty of telling you you're wrong. And now, Hey, I've done my part and we can, we can continue to be friends. Um, and everything's fine. And the conversation never comes back up again. So I, I think a lot of it, it just depends on what is your objective? What do you hope to accomplish? Who is the person and, and what kind of relationship did you have with them prior? What kind of relationship do you currently have? And what kind of relationship do you hope to have? And, you know, what, you know, what happens? And this is the question that I ask if it is a family member, because that's different than just someone who you kind of knew years ago and they're interested. You know, what happens when it's a family member? What happens when it's your spouse? Um, I don't know. I, I cannot. I, I well. I don't know from experience because me and Bethany, we we really changed together on this. Um, in fact, she she helped me in ways that I would not have been able to help myself in in asking questions that, you know, I either sometimes minimized or ignored, and that she was able to really put in the forefront of my head, like, "Hey, deal with this," you know. And yeah. uh, so we were able to work these things out together. And and uh, but a lot of people. That, that's not the way it goes. And I, I'm not naive to believe that, you know, hey, you know, married couples just change together. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Lee, you and I both have been blessed in that area. When yes. So, when Immensely so, many, so. When so many people haven't. And so what do you do? What do you do when it is your spouse? What do you do when it is your family, your, your parents who you are very close with or you have a, you know, a, a, a pretty good relationship with? What do you do when it's your children? I've known of people who've changed in their, uh, in fact, I've talked to them. They've changed in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and their children have withdrawn from them <laughs> because they felt like they had away. So what happens then? What do you do then? And Lee, now I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> well, one thing I want to do, I want to circle back to something you said just a minute ago because I think it's worth pointing out. And I, I love how you enumerated that and those questions that you ask yourself, because those are the questions that everyone needs to ask themselves when they take inventory and they think about the faith transition they're going through. Because what, what I'm thinking in my mind right now is I'm thinking about the people that are still in the closet. These are yeah. still people that have not made their transition or their doubts or their struggles known. And depending on the relationship, depending on the person with whom you're going to engage with, only the, only you can know how that's possibly going to go. You know, with my in-laws, I didn't know how they would take this transition that Kim and I have gone through in our faith journey. I didn't know how, well, I mean, I had an idea of how most of the people in our old church would have taken it. And it, it all was pretty, pretty close. It was all pretty accurate. If you know these people that you're going to be interacting with and that you're going to try to continue to maintain a relationship with or have a relationship with, or maybe you're not going to be able to have a relationship with them, you know what their reaction might be. Yeah. But one thing that I think is very important, and brother, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I honestly don't remember if I've talked to you about this or not. I, I don't know. I think I may have mentioned it at one point. I know Kim and I have discussed it at length. I have another good friend of mine that I've talked to about this. And the motivation that other people have to come to you, I like to think that most everybody is acting in good faith until they prove they're not. Yeah. 
but I really believe that there are some people that are not motivated out of a love for your soul. They're more motivated out of a fear of invalidating their own position. Yeah. Because if you're a person that they had a role in your conversion, and I have a couple of instances in my own life that, that come to mind for this, a couple of people that come to mind, but if they had a material role in your conversion and you know, or they have been a figure in your life and they hold you in high regard, you hold them in high regard and you begin to go on this faith journey. You bring this up to them, or maybe they get word of it and then they come to you or you go to them or or whatever the situation is. You're, you're together and you're discussing this. I think some people are driven to want to study with you because if you reject that paradigm that you have been a part of and that this other person has been a part of, in a sense, you invalidate it. You're Mm -hmm. essentially telling that person this perspective, this worldview, it doesn't appear to be the best way or even a valid way to read the scripture anymore. And it may be that it highlights doubts in their own mind. And it brings to bear their own insecurity. And so they become very, very heated. They become very upset. They become very animated and maybe even angry. Maybe even they, they may even get mad and lose their temper with you. How can you believe this? I can't believe that you would go off into this kind of denominationalism. I can't believe that you would buy into this sinful idea that you can use an organ to worship God, you know, or something like that they get angry it's and it's not because they're afraid for your soul but it's because everything that they stand for has been invalidated by your doubt mm-hmm. and they take that and they internalize it and i think that that is at the root of of a lot of people i, I do think that there are a lot of people that do act in good faith and that do act from a place of sincerity but i do think that there are a lot of people that are driven by that fear of having their entire paradigm and worldview in, invalidated. And I think that's what drives a lot of it, honestly. That's a but, good point. Yeah. But in, in any case though, you have a situation in which you're going through a faith transition. And the question is, well, do I share this with my parents? Do I let them know that I no longer believe? And you may need to do that. You may want to do that. Or you may not need to do that. And it may be a very, in some instances, it may be a very good idea to share it with them. In others, it may be very bad. If you know your parents are highly authoritarian and they're not going to take you sharing your doubts and your faith journey with them, they're not going to take it well. And you're financially dependent on them and you could become homeless. It may be better to wait until you're financially independent before you share that with them. But then the question is, what do you do once you share your your faith journey with them? Once you share this transition, this journey you're going on with these people that you love and that say that they love you, how do you establish boundaries? If they're willing to continue with you, if they're willing to continue to have a relationship, if they are still willing to invite you to the birthday parties and the family get-togethers and dinner and what have you, okay, How do you maintain a good relationship with these people? And the answer is, is in every instance, you may not be able to, because it's not just on you to behave with kindness and goodness and temperance and exhibit self-control and love and charity. It's also on the other person as well. It takes two to have a relationship. So if you find yourself in a situation in which you have people that are disappointed in the choices you've made. 
they're upset that you have stepped away from what they believe to be the gospel truth, but they are still dealing with you kindly, then maintain that relationship. I mean, the boundaries have kind of already set themselves. But what do you do in a situation where every single interaction, every single get-together turns into a debate? Every single time it turns into a Bible study. Like Kevin said, you remain kind and make it known, this doesn't work for me. That phrase right there has been one of my favorite turns of phrases that I have used not only professionally, but personally as well. Like, like you said earlier, Kevin, if the conversation's coming up and people are trying to, to talk about this, well, let, let's, let's get the Bible out. Well, what does this mean? What do you believe about this and this and this? And that's happening every time you have to say, listen, having this conversation does not work for me. This is not a conversation we are going to have. We're not going to get anywhere with it. I love you. I want to spend time with you and I want to know you, but I'm aware of the arguments. You are not going to change my mind. My goal isn't to change your mind. Mm-hmm. If you want to discuss this, we can, but we're not going to do it right now. Yeah. Yeah. It well, may even be a bad idea to say we can discuss this another time. You may need to just cut it off completely and say, we're not having this conversation at all. Yeah. And if there's a consequence that you bake into that, and I'm, I'm almost done, brother, and I'll hand it back to you. But no, you're good. If, if it's one of those things where it's coming up every time and you lay it down, listen. I am not going to talk about this with you. We are not having this conversation. And if that person will not honor the boundary you're setting, and this can be really hard for a lot of people, you need to be willing and ready to walk away from that relationship. And that's hard. That's so hard. It's so difficult to do that. But for your own peace of mind down the road, for the collective better good for yourself, for the overall good for yourself, that may be what you have to do, even if it's just temporary, it may end up being permanent, but you need to be prepared to walk away from that relationship if the boundaries you set are not honored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was just going to say, don't take the bait. You know, that's that's something else yes. that I always don't take the bait and people will try to bait you. Um, you know, when I would give answers to friends and associates I used to have and I would say, look, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not interested in studying with you because I have, I have already looked at this. I already know uh, what I used to believe and I know why you believe what you believe. And I don't believe that anymore. I've studied it. I've looked at other perspectives and those make more sense to me. And people have tried to bait me and they go, Oh, so what you're saying is you're not wanting to study the Bible. So you're saying you don't really care about studying the Bible. And at that point, when people start doing that, they are proving that they are someone I do not need to engage with at that time because they're yeah, already they're acting they're, in good faith. Right. They're already being manipulative at that point. And, you know, if someone wants to say their piece and they believe they have to say I'm a false teacher, you know, I get that. I mean, I obviously don't agree with it, but if out of good faith, they feel like they have to say that because that's in their mind, their duty, that's one thing. But to continue to try and say, you know, kind of manipulate the situation. I heard other people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm always up for studying the Bible. I guess you just don't care about God's word anymore. Or, you know, people have said things like, um, you know, and I'll, I'll hear this one quite a bit when I'll say it, what you said is the quickest way. It is the quickest way to shut down a conversation. And that is you are not going to change my mind. 
And, yeah. and, and, and what the response to that is going to be, well, so what you're telling me is you're just not open-minded. So you're saying that you don't care if I give you the truth, you're already set in your ways. And, you know, that's how that, and, and I know this because this is, these are the tactics I used to use. I mean, you know, we're, we're speaking from the other side as well. I used to use yes. those types of tactics and in that person's mind, once again, you're having to gauge each situation, but the only way to stop someone like that is to reinforce the idea, nothing you say is going to change my mind right now. So if, if your goal is to change me, this is not the way to go about it, just as you pointed out. And it just those, those comments right, that, right there, you're not going to change my mind. This is what I believe, and I'm not going back. And if people believe that when you say it and they actually trust that what you're saying is, is something that you really believe, they probably aren't going to keep going after you because you've just told them very bluntly and very clearly, but still in a kind of respectful way, look, this isn't going to work. If your end game is to change my mind, my mind's not going to be changed. And we can continue to regurgitate. Uh, the same arguments for why you believe what you believe and for why I believe what I believe. But at the end of the day, argumentation is limited. No matter what position you believe, there's only so many arguments for it one way or the other. And I've studied and I've come to this conclusion. Now, I'll always say this. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I, I, doesn't mean I couldn't be wrong because I'm certainly not infallible. But at this point in time, with my experience and with my knowledge and with what I currently know, there's going to be nothing that's going to change my mind. And so, you know, maybe if you felt and I'll even I'll even leave the door open. Sometimes it depends on who it is. I'll say if you feel like there's a good book or if there is something that you feel like maybe is some new argument um, or some or a different perspective then I am willing to, to hear it out. Um, but this isn't going to be the way to do it. If there's a book you would like me to read or articles, send it my way and I'll, I'll, I'll look through it. And, uh, and, and by the way, when I say that, I mean it. Um, so when people do that, I will look through it. And sometimes I'll learn. Sometimes I'll learn that these are just the same, the same stuff I already knew. You know, it's the same stuff that I already looked at. Um, so if you're not really wanting to engage, but you're still wanting to keep an open demeanor, which I think is always important, you can say, Hey, feel free to send me materials. But, you know, after, after a period of time, if I see the materials you're sending me are the same things, then I've, I've already, I've already looked at that. I've already considered that data and it just is not convincing. And that's another phrase that I use. I've looked at your arguments and they're not convincing to me. Yeah. And that's where it can work on someone's insecurity because, you know, if I did a formal debate saying it was a sin to use instrumental music, okay, and then I changed my mind, that is going to work on a lot of people. Whoa, wait a minute. No, no, no. He couldn't have changed his mind. He had the truth. I mean, he stated it so clear. So that is going to work on people's mind because it was a topic I studied uh, probably more than most because I did have a formal debate on it. And so... It is going to work on people's insecurities when you do end up changing your mind. It's the same reason why uh, when someone is a Christian, they become an atheist, or when someone is an atheist and they become a Christian, whatever they convert to, they want to herald that. They want to say, look, this person used to be that, then they're this, because they realize it's a, it's a powerful testimony. It doesn't make it right, but it is. it does make it very it's powerful. Compelling. Yes. Compelling, yes. 
Well, and I think that it's it's so important, and I love how you say that. I didn't find what you said convincing. Yeah. And, and that's huge because it takes the weight off of them and puts it squarely on their argument. It, it, if you tell someone you're wrong, no, I don't want to study with you because you're wrong. Well, you're attacking them. You're, you're, you're admitting to a quality from your perspective that they possess, which is wrongness. You're attacking them in their mind, or they may perceive it as an attack. But whenever you say, I didn't find your argument convincing, I read what you sent me and it, it wasn't compelling to me. It wasn't convincing, or it just regurgitates and rehashes all the other stuff that I used to already believe that I've already thought through and studied my way out of. Well, now you're not attacking them anymore. Um, one thing, though, and this is a resource that our listeners may appreciate. They may not. It's a uh, your logical fallacy dot com. And whenever people say, oh, so what you're saying is, is you don't love the Bible and you don't want to study the Bible. I always like to say, oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. You're building a straw man because that's not what I said. That is a logically fallacious statement and you're engaging in poor reasoning whenever you do that. If someone uses a fallacy, I don't have any problem if they're going to stoop to that level to say, no, that's not what I said. What you've just done is built a straw man, which is an argument that I'm not making. And you're attacking that because it's easier to attack the argument that I just said, or you're engaging in an ad hominem attack. You're not attacking what I said. You're attacking me personally. And I don't appreciate that. Please don't do that again. That may work for you. Your mileage may vary. I know it works for me, but like you said, Kevin, you need to maintain no matter how you reply or respond to anyone, a kind demeanor is essential. You yeah, always yeah. want to remain kind. You want to remain open. You want to remain forthright, even if enforcing a boundary means you cut it off completely. And that can look something like this. And and I've had to do this with, with some people. Listen, I love you and I know you love me. Otherwise, you wouldn't be trying to bring this up every time we get together. But the problem is, is you keep bringing this up every time we get together. And I have already made it clear that this is not a conversation we're going to be able to have. We're coming at this from two different angles. We're coming at this from two different perspectives. The framework you follow is not the framework I follow. We are not going to have a conversation about this period. If that's not up for debate, it's not up for discussion. We are not going to do that. Please don't bring it up again. If you do, then I am not going to be willing to spend time with you. And I am not going to be willing to have a relationship with you because you're not honoring the boundary that I'm setting. You're not honoring my request. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't work for me. I want to have a relationship with you, but if this is what it's going to be like, it's going to be better for you and I both to not have it. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard conversation to have. It's a very hard conversation to have, but for your peace of mind for your mental health, it might be a necessary conversation that you need to have. Yep. I agree wholeheartedly that, you know, whether it's your f friends, family, there comes a time if that is something that continues to happen, you just have to, to be straightforward and say, look, you know, I've, I've, I've asked you repeatedly not to bring this up. I know what you believe I know what I believe and you know what I believe <laughs> and you know what you believe. And this isn't any new information. Um, I want to maintain a relationship with you, but if this is the way you feel like it's going to have to continue, I'm sorry, this, 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 this isn't going to work. And if this continues and, and this is detrimental to my spiritual health for a lot of people, it is, they have true, um, you know, PTSD, they have true anxiety, 
when it comes to discussing certain topics or when it comes to putting themselves in a certain position spiritually um, and conversationally that they, they really do not need to do that. And if, as you pointed out, they can't respect that, then at that point, uh, boundaries need to be drawn. And, and sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, so you're withdrawn from me then. You, I'm like, no, I'm not I'm not withdrawing my fellowship from you because I think you're going to hell. I'm doing it because this is very toxic for us as a family. It's very toxic to me as an individual. It's very toxic to us in our own relationship. This isn't bearing good fruit. Yeah. And, you know, if, 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 if when it comes to that, that's not being unkind. That's 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 being kind to yourself. That's loving yourself. Uh, you can't love other people if you don't first love yourself. If I'm supposed to love others the way I love myself, well, I have to first treat myself the way that I would treat other people or the way, you know, I've got to treat myself right. <laughs> and yes. I've got to make sure that I'm treating myself in a kind and respectful way before I can do that to other people. And I think the most difficult is a spouse. And I want to just talk about this just maybe for the next just couple minutes here as we as we conclude because I think you know, if you're if you're still living in your under your parents' roof, if you're a teenager and you haven't graduated, you know, obviously that's a, that's a different situation, but for most people, even when it comes to their parents, um it is it is much easier to do this with them than it is their own spouse. And I don't I think that your spouse is by far going to be the most difficult and what happens, and I have talked to multiple people, Lee, multiple, my wife has too. We've, we've talked to multiple people who are in this situation, and this may or may not describe you, but they are married, and they have started to have questions and doubts. Their spouse does not know, or at least they may know a little bit because they have tried to test the waters with their spouse by bringing by bringing up something maybe really small and it didn't go well and so now they're terrified knowing that if they actually bring up the big things <laughs> the real stuff that you know their spouse is certainly not on the same wavelength and this is not going to end well and they have children and they're thinking, I don't want my children raised in this legalistic garbage, but this is what my spouse believes. I don't believe it. What do I do? And I've had people ask me that. And my first response no. is, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I wish, I wish I could give somebody a magic pill, a magic phrase, a magic saying. Um, you know, my, my, my first, I, I really don't. I mean, this is something that, and I've talked to a lot of people on this, because, and I'm very careful. That's one of the reasons why I start out by saying, I don't know. But what the things that I suggest to begin with is, you know, you may need to, to find a counselor, um, if nothing else, for your own sanity, to make sure that you're able to work on yourself, to make sure that you're able to to maintain your own beliefs separate from your spouse, even if they believe something and, and they don't know what you believe and you're wanting to maintain that intellectual honesty among yourself, you may need to seek professional guidance, professional help um, to, to be able to talk to some people. I've, I've actually thrown that idea out and they're like, well, I can't do that. My my, my husband would know or my wife would know. And, and yeah. what am I going to tell them? And how's that going to go? Um, so that once again, that's, that's not going to be the answer for everybody. Um, for others, it may be that the smartest and wisest thing to do up front is to see how things play out for a period of time. And, you know, eventually 
it, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have so, so much sympathy and compassion for people who are in that situation. It breaks my heart because I know of people, I know of multiple people who are in that situation. And I don't know. I mean, I, and I talk to Bethany about this all the time because me and her, we have a phenomenal relationship. We're best friends. We've always been extremely open about everything we've believed. And we have changed together. We've grown together. And I see other couples and they, they you know, they didn't experience that. And, and Lee, you've been on the positive side of that as well. You know, you and Kim, just like me and Bethany, you've been able to do this together. But there's so many people. They don't. They haven't. And they can't. And they may never be able to. And what do you do? What do you do when you, when, you know, I've, I've had a mother reach out to me. I don't want my children raised with what I was raised in, but this is what my husband believes. And he doesn't know that I'm even reaching out. What do I do? And I don't know, Lee. I mean, do you, what, what is your advice in a situation like that? Well, I can definitely empathize on a really deep level with people that struggle with that because dude, that was one of whenever things started to unwind for me, that was one of the biggest fears I had. You know, you and I talked about this before we've talked yeah. about it on the podcast. Whenever I began to look at nature, I began to look at biology. I began to look at astrophysics and all of these other things that did not comport with a strict literal reading of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, man, I struggled hard. And the biggest issue that I had and the biggest source of fear that I had was telling Kim what I was beginning to question because I, number one, I didn't want to freak her out and have her be filled with anxiety for my soul. I was in a very anxious place at that point in my life and anxiety sucks. Yeah. I mean, I'll just tell you, dude, <laughs> anxiety is terrible. And I mean, I know you, you've had struggles with it. I've had struggles with it, dude. It's not a fun thing. Anxiety sucks. I didn't want that for her. I didn't want her to worry about me. And I was afraid that if I became quote, an unbeliever and that in, you know, one cup church of Christ terms means anybody that doesn't believe exactly the same party line for the one cup churches of Christ in terms of the cup and everything else, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't want her to think I, I didn't want to get this fellowship by my own wife. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, did, yeah. I, I didn't want, you know, well, with such a one, don't even eat. Well, we don't go to dinner anymore. Well, why? Because I believe in a four and a half billion year old earth and that dinosaurs were real and that, you know, evolution is, you know, this, the, the way that God brought all this into being. So I, I can definitely empathize with the fear that people have, but you know, even then I was able to, even in that moment, I was able to articulate well what I believed. I was also able to articulate my doubts. And a lot of people, they struggle to even articulate their doubts. If I come out and tell my husband, or if I come out and tell my wife what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing, I don't even know what words to put it in. Yeah. I don't even know how to communicate it. And so e even then the, the conversation can go off the rails and you end up talking about stuff that you don't even, it, it, it can, it can just go to crazy town and you end up talking about things that don't even matter and that don't even resonate with either one of you. And it just ends up being this big mess. But for people with their spouses, man, I don't know. I'm like you, I'm fortunate to have a wife that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. She is just so open to hear what anyone has to say. Even if she disagrees with what someone has to say, she is still ready, willing, and able to hear anybody out. Yeah. And that's, that's a rarity, man. That's a rare thing. But I know for myself, honesty was the best policy. 
I was able to come to her. And once she finally pried me open and was able to get me to spill my guts for her, it, it, it was so much better. And we did, that was the catalyst that allowed us to start growing together. Yeah. But for these people who are married to a husband who is an absolute tyrant or to a wife who is, you know, so entrenched within legalism that she'd be willing to, you know, to sleep in a separate bedroom because she has to withdraw from you, man, I don't know. Like you, I yeah. really don't know what advice well, I could give to anybody in that situation. Yeah. And, and I don't think there is a one size fits all piece of advice. I mean, I, I have spoken to some who eventually just told their spouse because they couldn't take it. They emotionally the dissonance just yes, built they're, up. They, yeah. They're like, you know, this is what I, I, I just, this just isn't right. And eventually they, they told their spouse and, you know, I've, I, I have known of, of at least uh, three or four cases that I'm thinking of, of people I've spoken with. And, um, most of the time it ended up pretty good. Um, it was one of those things where, and when I say pretty good, I, I do mean pretty good, not, not necessarily fantastic. Um, in some situations it's been where the other spouse just was like, Hey, I don't, you know, I don't agree with you, but if, if that's what you feel like you have to do, you know, are you still willing to come to church with us? I mean, you know, and, and, and there's some compromising that might have to take place. Um, the, the exact situations I'm thinking of are people who, who really loved each other. They had really good yeah. marital relationships. And so I think it's also going to be a test of the relationship itself, because as I pointed out earlier, a lot of quote unquote church relationships are very superficial and they were built on, we believe the same things, but we never really had a close, uh, relationship with a lot of substance. And for some married people, that's the they, case with some marriage. They, yeah. may, they may find out that, okay, we both married each other because we both grew up thinking we were the only ones going to heaven and we didn't really have a big pool to choose from. And, you know, I thought you were good looking and you thought I was good looking. But aside from that, we really are not close. And now it's been 25, 30 years and, you know, I'm not that good looking and uh, I no longer believe what you believe. And do we really even have much of a relationship left? And that might be uh, what happens that may end up, you know, there, there may end, I mean, I'm, there's a million scenarios we could go through, but the point is, is that I don't think there is just one, you know, I don't think there is just one right answer. I mean, I've known yeah. of, Lee, I've known of older folks. When I say older folks, I know of people who they, they did have certain beliefs, but they really never let them, let, let them be known. And, uh, they just kind of continued on. And it wasn't until their spouse died that they finally, you know, in their 70s or 80s, are like, yeah, I haven't really believed this for, for a long time. And they end up, you know, leaving the church across, going to a Baptist church. And people are like, oh, I can't believe that. They're like, look, I've been wanting to do this for years. But, you know, I, I just see that myself too, brother. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't I don't know. I, I don't think there is a right answer. I mean, I, I talk in my book about the importance of wisdom and how there's a, a maturation to wisdom and it takes time. And, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve. I mean, we're all figuring those things out, but the big thing is make sure you're not driving yourself insane. That's that, because most people are willing to lose their own sanity and self-love and self-respect in order for, for other people. And that's never what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not even teach that within a marital relationship. You never, ever, ever 
quit loving yourself in order to maintain a relationship. That's not how, that's not how a Christocentric love works. And so if you are in that position and you find, you know, you get to that point where you're like, I've got to tell, I've got to tell regardless of what happens. And that's usually what ends up taking place. I mean, people get to the point where they can hide it for a short period of time, but eventually like I've got to tell my spouse, regardless of what happens, I've got to be finally completely transparent with them. And then who knows what happens from that point. Well, and I would just to piggyback off that, man, I would say that like you, I 100% agree that there is no silver bullet. There is no one answer that fits every situation and wisdom is definitely necessary to be able to adequately navigate these waters. But one thing that I will say is I do believe that in general, honesty is the best policy. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it, it is best to ultimately be honest with your spouse in most cases. There may be cases where it is better with these older folks who, who take it and they just bury it deep down inside their love for their spouse is worth more to them than the conflict it could engender. And they have no problem, you know, going and participating and being a part of something that they don't fully buy into because the love for their spouse is that big. That's fine. If that works for them and they can do that without cognitive dissonance, eating them alive, because I've known people that were able to do that and they had a great marriage and it, and they're like, no, it really didn't bother me much. Well, okay. That may be a viable option, but I would say that if it gets to that point, like what you were saying, and it's time to be honest, it's time to come out to your spouse with this information, be as clear as you can in communicating what has changed what you no longer believe and what you believe in its place. If you have reconstructed at that point and you may have the gift of being able to articulate that verbally, it may be better to write it down in a letter, but I would still read that letter to my spouse. My advice would be in most situations and you know, your situation better than anyone else. So this may not work for you. Your mileage may vary, but write it down and then read it to your spouse. Don't just give the letter to them to read. It may be better in some situations in a few to just give them the letter, but read it to them. And then if you're able to have a conversation at that point, you know, even say, listen, if you want to talk about this, we can, but I can't right now. Yeah. I need some time to calm down, you know, and set those boundaries so that you can have a future conversation, hopefully move forward with it. Well, I know of another situation after this, we'll wrap it up, but you know, I I do know of situations kind of in every phase of what we're dealing with right now. Those who they believe something differently than their spouse, but they haven't told they have, they're kind of in the middle. And then those who they did and it worked out well, or those who unfortunately it, it didn't work out well. Um, for them. I mean, I've, I have seen a lot of different scenarios and that's why regardless of what we're saying tonight, we're not promising you a happy ending, um, at least temporarily here on earth with how this may shake out, um, with, with some of your family, whether it is your spouse, whether it is your family, you know, your parents or your children or whatever, we're not saying that all everything's going to work out just fine. Um, it may not, your entire life may fall apart, but I do know of, uh, of a couple who, when one of them started changing, the other one did not, and still has not to this day, uh, years and years and years later, um, from what I last heard. And they have made it work as best as they can, where they just do not talk about anything. And uh, one goes to church with the other to basically appease them. 
Um, they don't like it, <laughs> uh, but it's just, you know, one hour a week. And so they go, but then they also have their own uh, thing that they do. And so they've been able to, you know, find their own church that works for them where they're still able to go and worship with their spouse and with their children for right now. But they also realize they have a need for them, for their own spiritual life, that that's not meeting for them. So they're doing that for their spouse, but then they're doing something else for them. And they have compromised and and the other person is, is okay with that. They're okay with that. They just don't discuss it. And so it's it's a sore, definitely a sore spot in their relationship, but they've been able to make it work. And so, you know, this is something you don't rush into. I like the idea of writing the letter out and reading it, um, the idea of giving things time to process and simmer. Figure out what you can compromise on at that point in time and let them know, hey, I'm willing to do this, but... You know, I, I, I'm not sure if I can continue. You know, I don't believe this, but I'm because that's the thing you can. I, and I've had to realize this for myself. I cannot make anybody believe anything. Yeah. And so when I hear when I hear of people saying, OK, I'll give you a month to study this and come to this conclusion. You're, <laughs> you're, you're asking someone to be dishonest. I mean, you can't you can't make anybody believe anything. You know, you can yeah. you can put laws and behavioral management in place, sure. But that doesn't mean that they're going to believe that and that their attitude and conviction has changed. That just simply means they're going through the motion. And so if that if going through the motion may help you and they're willing to do that, then that, you know, that may be what happens or needs to take place, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I feel like we're at least I'm kind of saying the same thing, but at the end of the day, there's just not one right answer. I mean, I've seen yeah. situations, like I say, that turned out and I've said, I've seen some where, you know, the, the spouse has come out to the other about their views and then they're like perfectly fine with it. And they're like, you know what? I've actually been thinking about this too. And I just have been afraid to come out to you and it's been great. It was like wonderful. And then, and it's perfect, you know, and then their marriage is stronger than ever. I know of a couple that, and then I know of another couple where one came out to the other, thought it was going to be a big deal. And they're like, well, I'm fine either way. You're like, that's no big deal. You know, if you want to believe something differently and they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that or I would have told you a lot sooner. And then I've, I've known of people where they came out to their spouse and their spouse ended up not agreeing with them up front. But then after a period of time, they ended up changing um, or they ended up becoming to a place where they were very tolerant and were able to find ways that things that worked for them. So we're not saying if you come out to your spouse that you've changed that it's going to it's going to inevitably result in a divorce but we're also not going to say it's inevitably going to result in a stronger relationship it's it's going to it could be either one or a plethora of the things that could happen within that spectrum just like any other relationship it could go any number of directions it could end well it could end very very poorly and only you can know how that's going to go but no matter what relationship we're talking about, whether it's parental, whether it is um, in terms of your siblings, whether it's your in-laws, whether it's your spouse, your children, whatever the case may be, always act with kindness, always be kind, be forthright, be uh, merciful, grant them the same level of mercy that you would that you want them to show to you. and. Tell the truth. 
in all of those cases, tell the truth. And whenever you set the boundaries you need to set, if the situation is just so toxic that you can't really move forward in having a relationship, then you need to have it crystal clear in your mind how far you're willing to go in that relationship, how involved you're willing to be, and you need to make that crystal clear to them. These are the parameters under which our interactions will take place. This is the way it is going to be from now on. And you need to set that boundary and do not deviate from it at all. Just like little kids, old people will try to test your boundaries as well. <laughs> if you give them an inch, a lot of times people are going to take a mile. So don't give them an inch. Don't let them take a mile. You stay solid, stay the course. And in hopefully it doesn't come to that. But in the event it does, be willing and know that that relationship could very well be severed as well. Yeah. And be okay with that because yeah. you have to be okay with that if this is something you're going to do. And one more thing. I know we keep saying one more thing. One more uh, thing. I feel like Columbo right now. One more thing. Uh, you brought this up earlier, and I want to reiterate this. You can do everything perfectly, and the relationship still may not work, whether that's your friends, whether that's your your mother, your father, your children, your spouse, whoever, your your church family. You can do everything perfectly. That still does not mean they're going to do what they need to do or what you would hope that they would do. And so that doesn't reflect on you. And one of the things that I have uh, heard someone says, you know, well, I just hate that this is hurting other people so much. That's not on you. You know, the fact that someone else believes you're going to hell is not on you. That's on them. That's their belief system that that's has nothing to do with you. That doesn't take away from the hurt. That doesn't take away from the fact that you still hate that they feel that way and that that's hurting them because of their belief system. But you need to re you need to remind yourself that that's on them. And ultimately, you cannot change that. If that's what they want to believe, that's because of what they want to believe or what they've chosen to believe, not because of you and your decisions. 100%. And that's and that's another way I've seen a lot of people manipulate is they'll go, I can't believe you've done this to our family. You've ruined our family. You're the one who changed. We 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 were such a faithful family and you know, we have a long line of faithful Christians of the one true Lord's church and you know, you're the one who's moved and look at what you've done. You're destroying this family. And especially once people start, other people start changing. Um, thank, you know, my family, thankfully, we've always been real tight and, and, you know, my mom and dad have been very supportive, even though we don't always see everything, uh, the same way when it comes to theology and, and how to apply the Bible. We're very close. I mean, I talk, I literally talk to my parents every single day on the phone and we we love each other. Um, we have a phenomenal relationship, but a lot of families don't have that. And when there, when when someone um, who was a minister who had influence changed, it it did it ruined a lot of things. And I'm I'm speaking from not personal experience, but from other friends of mine who I know. Uh, things Brandon, you've witnessed, Brandon Johnson. You know he he's told his whole story about his father, and uh, you know he wasn't even allowed at his father's funeral, um, and they blamed him for so many things because of his change. And uh, it's it quite frankly, it's disgusting um, what happened and how his family handled him has handled him is still handling him. And, uh, but he's done a phenomenal job showing them love and showing them grace and showing them kindness at this point. 
Um, are they are they probably ever going to change? No, because of the things they've done. Even some psychologists have said that just continuously has re. They've they've gone to depths most people won't to to keep their their world uh, intact. And so, doesn't mean they can't change, because a lot of people probably wouldn't have thought that I would be where I'm at today, ten years ago, talking about these things. But um, the thing is, is that he has continued to to to. He's had to set boundaries. Uh, he, he, he talks about that, you know, there, there came a time where he's like, look, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, if this is what you're going to say, if this is how you're going to treat me, uh, if this is how you're going to treat my wife, this is going to have to treat my family. There's going to have to be boundaries set, but he has always been very kind, um, you know, throughout this process. And even though there are things he readily admits he could have done better, you know, I think he's gotten to the point, thankfully, where he doesn't blame himself because th- these are, yes, he changed. He's the one who did change, but they're the ones who 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 uh, chose to continue to believe what they wanted to believe, which resulted in all sorts of chaos. And it's sad. It really is sad. But you have to do the right thing. You have to do the right thing at the end of the day. Yeah, you have to do the right thing. and You have to do right by yourself. And I think do this last point that we're ending on tonight. I think it's probably the best point and the strongest point that that we have made. I think it's the best thing that has been said on this podcast. Whenever you said that's not on you, folks, yeah. it is so easy to internalize and to and to to take to heart what is said and to blame yourself and to castigate yourself for the turmoil that may arise. And it's so easy to say, well, if only I wouldn't have shared how I've changed on X, Y, or Z with this person. Oh my goodness. We wouldn't have all of this turmoil. And there are people that may even say that to you. There, there are people that may even say, well, you should have never even brought this up. You should have never even brought this up. If you would have, if you would have never studied this, if you would have never looked at this or read that stupid book by that Kevin Pendergrass, that false prophet, that false teacher, (laughs) well, we wouldn't, our family wouldn't be torn apart right now. It's all your fault. No, it isn't. It is not your fault for being intellectually honest with yourself. It is not your fault for exploring faith in pursuit of God's grace. Hey, see what I did there? How clever. It's not your fault that the answers that you were given no longer work for you anymore. Yeah. If you're not the one that's being antagonistic, if you're not the one that's being um, angry, if you're not the one that's being disrespectful, if you are acting with kindness and acting in a Christ-like manner, any tumult that arises, it's not on you. Other people's anger and distaste for what you believe, that's not on you. That is a choice they're making. I think that is probably the best point that we have made in this entire episode. Yeah, you 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 have to. Well, you have to tell yourself that. And even if there are things you could have done differently, because I there there have. There there are things, you know, I look back and I wish I would have done differently. I mean, that's why I did a whole episode called things I wish I would have done differently, but, uh, it, it did not discredit my overall change. Um, and I'm willing to accept the responsibility for things I wish I would have, have changed, uh, or have done differently while at the same time saying, but no, I'm still right for still believe I'm right with where I'm at. Um, and you know, sometimes you may have to go back and revisit some of your tactics and, and things of that nature. And there's a lot of times where I'll just apologize to people sometimes after a conversation got heated. Even if I'm not sure if it was my fault or not, I'm not going to change my position, but I'm going to say, look, you know, this isn't, this is not how I, I want this conversation well. to go. Yeah. You know, I didn't want the conversation to go this way. And, 
you know, I feel like uh, I, I had a lot to do with that. And so I apologize about that. And I want to take responsibility for that and take responsibility for, for the things you think that, that you could have done better, but never apologize because you're doing what you think is right. Absolutely. Um, you know, never, never do that. Absolutely. All if, if you are convinced that this is the right thing to do and this is the right way to go and this is the right way to live your life. And that is a conclusion that you've come to in good faith. Never apologize for that. Don't. Yes. I mean, lean into that and lean into your own convictions and make sure they're your own. Yeah. But I mean, man, we could keep going on this. I, I think this has been a really good episode. Yeah. I know I've, I've covered what I wanted to cover and I know you've covered what you wanted to cover. We could keep riffing. We could keep going. This is what tends to happen is it goes longer than either one of us anticipate whenever we don't have an outline, <laughs> but sometimes even when we do is what happens. But no, this, this is a good conversation. I hope that it'll be helpful to our listeners. I really think it will be. Um, if it is helpful to you guys, uh, drop us a line and let us know that it was helpful. If there is a certain aspect of this conversation you might like us to cover in the future, let us know about that too. If you would like prayers, if you would like, you know, just as someone to talk to, you can holler at Kevin, you can holler at me, drop us a line. We have our email address in the show notes. We also have a, a Facebook group in which we uh, discuss different things related to spirituality and our faith journeys and everything else. It's a really good group. There's a lot of good activity going on there. We'd love to have you guys join that. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. That is hugely helpful to help us increase our visibility. The more likes we can get and the more uh, on our Facebook page and the more reviews we get, the more visibility we get and the more it affects our algorithms in a positive way. So do that for us, please, as well. Once again, we thank you all very much. We love you all, and we wish you all a good day.